0: podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
1: Hello everyone, I'm Ben Johnson and this is the Perpetual Chess Podcast. On Perpetual Chess, I have weekly conversations with the chess world's best players, promoters, and educators about their lives, careers, current projects, and best practices. For more information, go to perpetualchesspod.com. What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Perpetual Chess. I am here with the esteemed Grandmaster Jan Gustafsson. But before we let him share his wisdom with us, I just wanted to give you guys a quick warning. As we record, I am moving the next day from Pittsburgh to New Jersey, and there's movers at our house. There's someone sanding my porch with this giant machine. So if there's unusual noise, I apologize. And the other thing is there might not be an episode next week on March 13th. So if there's nothing, then uh, don't panic or don't celebrate because I'll probably be back the week after that. In fact, I definitely will. Uh, so with that out of the way, let's get to Jan. So Jan is breaking up his vacation from the beautiful Canary Islands in order to join us. Uh, Jan, what's going on?
0: Well, breaking up is a bit strong. Like like you, I'm using this to sneak away from the family for an hour, <laughs> <laughs> quiet and peace, talk about some beautiful chest so,
1: all good, all good. Yeah, having a family definitely reframes your idea of a vacation. <laughs>
0: right. You're not going on holidays. You're spending time with your kid, right?
1: Right, exactly. Although, seeing those pictures of the Canary Islands, I don't feel too bad for you.
0: It's beautiful here. And I shouldn't i shouldn't throw the family under the bus in the first 10 seconds.
1: Of the, of the uh, they'll, they'll never listen to this. My wife doesn't listen to these. you are you're, you're, uh, You've got too much content on the internet for your wife to keep up.
0: <laughs> That's
1: very true. <laughs> okay, so we thought now would be a good time to have one of our most popular guests here back because Jan, of course, is an old friend of mine and uh quite busy generally over at Chess Twenty Four. But he's going to be particularly busy soon because we've got the FIDE Candidates Tournament coming up, and Jan and his esteemed colleague Grandmaster Peter Svidler we will be announcing, which I'm sure chess fans are delighted about. So Jan did a big preview for Chess24, but I thought here for Perpetual Chess, we'd do a mini preview. Um, so Jan, one thing I was curious about is if you know all these guys in person, the eight people playing in this uh, wonderful tournament.
0: I've certainly met them all. Like, I know some of them better and some of them less well, but yeah, I've, I've run into them.
1: Okay, yeah, and some of them you know fairly well, I assume.
0: Actually, having said that, I'm not sure I've ever met Ding Leland. I I don't think I've ever talked to him. I think we've been in the same room, but I don't think I've ever talked to him. But other than that, yeah, some of those I spent quite some time with.
1: Okay, and what was the nature of your preview series on Chess24?
0: What I did is I, I did a video on every candidate, and I went through their results versus the other players in the field, which I always find interesting. So I looked up their individual results against everybody else, then I annotated a game by each player against another candidate, going sort of through their strengths and weaknesses, and then I gave my expert predictions. Normally I'm horribly wrong about predictions though, so this as, will come back to haunt me for sure.
1: As unless they're related to the NBA, right?
0: Okay, that's a different thing. The NBA I actually followed closely, but the chess scene like I just win. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, I think whether you like it or not, you end up following the chess world closely because you cover so many of these events.
0: I was kind of joking, but yeah. Um, I'm not sure. I think even if you follow them closely, it's also the beauty of chess or sports in general. It's very hard to predict, right? Every game, whatever. White is 40%, draw is 40%, black is 20 or maybe it's 30, 40. Um, no, I'm getting my math. 35, 40, 25. Yeah, I can't th- do math. We've assembled math. Anyway, it's hard to guess the
1: result. Yeah, and then you multiply it over a series of results that are hard to predict in the individual, and in the aggregate it might be even harder.
0: Right. Uh, so okay, who's going to win the thing?
1: Uh, you're asking me? Of course. That is an excellent question. Um, I personally consider the two favorites to be Aronian and Kramnik. All right. Uh, So... I don't know if it's considered going out on a limb with Kramnik. It's definitely not with Aronian, <laughs> uh, based on what previous guests here have said. Uh, I didn't get a chance to watch your series, Jan, so who did you all end up picking?
0: Um, I also put the yeah Aronian as my top favorite, which I don't think he's particularly happy that everybody's picking him as the top choice, because if he has one weakness, it has been that over the past couple of years. At this very stage, at the candidate stage, he sort of, yeah, crumbled or couldn't couldn't see it all the way through. He had some good starts and then didn't finish. And I don't know, it's fun to play armchair psychologist, but I guess the weight of being the favorite plus then, yeah. Of, of course, being a hero in Armenia and people expecting him or very much ruling for him to make it to that final stage can't be easy.
1: Yeah, I like how everyone like dissects his psychology in a preview. They exactly. say, like, he got married, so he's in a good place, you know, therefore he's <laughs> going to win the tournament. Um, if only chess were so easy.
0: You never know, but that's, yeah, that's why, why these guys have to play and wear <laughs> So, yeah, I'm talking about, like, I don't know, marriage might cost him 50 points, or no, <laughs> no, he's <not laughs> me, right. he settle down, or whatever. He won Gibraltar, he's in a good place. He didn't do well in the last candidate, so this is too much too much pressure for him. Who knows, right? But yeah. when it comes to the highest what do call it, highest ceiling, I think Levon, when he's in form he's just so good.
1: Yeah, although Shaq has been uh, scraping the ceiling too lately, Shaq Mamadiarov.
0: I'm not convinced on Shaq yet. I think I have to at some point stop resisting and accepting that he's just a proper world class player, world number two, because I looked at his results in twenty seventeen. He always has plus two. He's very stable. But I'm not buying it yet. I feel like, I don't know, that his openings at that level might not hold up or that when dealing with adversity at the highest level, he's not quite there, but the results and the ratings speak a different language. So I'd still be surprised to see him do really well in that one, but maybe that's just me.
1: Yeah. In sports generally teams rarely come out of nowhere to sort of win a championship. They they generally they make a push and then they get farther than they've ever gotten before and then they lose and then maybe they win next time. Um so yeah, I'm with you on Mamad Yarov. I think it'd be super fun if he wins, but I I think experience might matter a little.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd be surprised like it's this. Yeah, I'm not sure if it's experience at the candidate stage, but even though he's played a lot of super tournaments and he's won some last year, I still feel that yeah, when everybody has that much time to prepare specifically, that he could be an underdog. But I could be very wrong. He's worked with Kayakin, so he's seen like the preparation that goes into this world championship match level, and his results have been there all year. So I'd be surprised, but okay. So okay. To with every one of my predictions, because these guys are so close, and yeah.
1: yeah. So did you? Um... One sec. <laughs> So do you have someone who you would consider second-in-command if you have Aronian as the favorite, or is it like a, a cluster after that?
0: And let's get to Kramnik. Kramnik is interesting. He's, once again, we talk about highest ceiling. I'm with you, Kramnik. I don't think we have to argue about his chess level pretty much Yeah, I follow his career. Through the 90s, he's been my favorite player. Then the match against Kasparov, he's been there, done that. He has all the experience. But, yeah, I feel like he's, how old is he? He's born in 75, so he's 42 years old. I feel like this is a tough tournament format for him, because it's 14 rounds, so it's really, really long and intense. And he also, I think he's less of a perfectionist these days, but I do still think that he spends a lot of time preparing and just memorizing lines for every game, which will end up costing you energy toward the end of the tournament. Of course he knows all these things and he will be extremely professional and very diligent about it. I just feel with this very format, H might be a factor that yeah, a match format with like a rest day after every other game might actually be easier for him than a fourteen round candidates for
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh and it's true that he's aware of them, but yeah, it's tough tough to counteract. Um just having less energy. All right, so let's uh, let's touch the other candidates. So, Jan, you could just say a little bit about their chess style or something you know about them away from the board, but let's just knock them out one by one. So, Sergei Karyakin.
0: There's another interesting case for us armchair psychologists, right? Because it feels like Karyakin is sort of winging it all year when it's just the regular super tournaments. He's fine making draws, and he doesn't seem that concerned about his results. But then when it's the world championship cycle, it's like I know – your listener number one, Donnie Ariel, he's very happy with the basketball analogies. Oh, yeah. well, it's like a thing like playoff rondo and there's World Championship Cycle Kayaki, right? He just goes to a different level normally. And his results in the candidates' tournaments and in the World Cup have been extremely good. I, I'm, I don't consider him a favorite this time around. Once again, I believe... Um, I believe he might not be as hungry as the others, because he's become very, very famous in Russia from all I hear after this world championship match, and you see him in commercials for Daimler and a lot of big companies. So I'm not sure. I guess he has a lot of appearances. Um, He just got his second kid as far as I know, so he sounds like a busy man on many levels. So I'm not sure if he's yet just finding the time to prepare as diligently as he did for the match versus Carlson, Carlsen and for the candidate. Also, chess-wise, it's a a tricky case, because he has very particular strength, which he's famous for his defense, right? For being able to defend any type of position. And I also think he's a fantastic player after move 40, because, yeah, he's more of a sportsman, really. He's extremely resilient, and he doesn't collapse. He has very good nerves. He never yeah, feels the pressure, it seems like. But I also feel like ceiling-wise, he's not. his highest level is not as high as the highest level of some of the other guys. For him, it's more consistency. So if someone hits their, their top gear, I'm not sure he can keep the pace. But once again, he's one of these guys, I would say that before every tournament, and then he would prove me wrong if the candidates consistent.
1: Yeah, I think it's pretty clear that everyone has some chance to win, Uh although definitely some better than others, and I, I think that's an interesting assessment And about him basically being a victim of his own success in Russia. Um, okay, uh, Ding Liren.
0: That's my dark horse. I'm a Ding Liren fan. Like people don't seem to, yeah, once again, he hasn't been there, and they say he lacks experience and so on, but uh, I like the guy. He made it to the World Cup Finals. He's, I don't know him well, but from all I can tell, he has very good nerves. He's a fighter. He has a very interesting chess style. Seems fairly stable to me. I don't think the expectations are that high, even though I don't really have insight into the Chinese chess community. So, no, But I really enjoy the way he's playing, and I think he can surprise many people in the tournament. So, I actually, I wouldn't call him a favorite, but he's certainly my dark horse because the odds, I think, is like 15 to 1. He was last when it came to the odds makers. I'd put some money on Ding Liren if I was a gambling man.
1: Which you used to be.
0: Not really, not really.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and 25 years old, so he has youth on his side, uh, along with uh, Wesley So, uh, which, since I mentioned him, Wesley So.
0: Wesley So? Um, tough to say. It's like, in Chesapeake, like Magnus has been what, number one. He's had his ups and downs. But then we've always had a guy who's made a push for like half a year. Wesley So had a fantastic second half of... 2016, was the way he won? Sinkfield Cup, London, then early 2017, he won by Ganze. People were having these discussions with a better player, Magnus or Wesley, So, but then he sort of couldn't keep it up. And then Aronian took over that that belt, and now you could argue with Mohamed Yarov. So it feels like no one can really keep that position as number two. And Wesley, yeah, his results haven't been that impressive, even though the main culprit was what was it, the Sinkfield Cup 2017 where he had like 3 out of 9, which maybe he has history with the place, and he doesn't do as well playing sort of at home. So, hard to say. I feel Wesley So is a tremendously solid player. His opening preparation is very good but not very surprising. Like, he will stick to main lines and he will have his homework done and check everything with the computer. I feel he might struggle to win a lot of games if people don't have to risk that much against him but he doesn't make a lot of mistakes so if he's given any chances and ends up sitting there on plus one plus two plus three whatever well he certainly has a chance but i feel like he can't generate something out of nothing if he really has to win some game
1: okay uh and fabiano caruana
0: fabiano um it's such a such a tricky case right it's because it's When did he win the Sinkfield Cup? 2014, when he had this insane result?
1: I believe that's right, yeah.
0: Where he's like 8.5 out of 10. Yeah, that
1: that was nuts. Anyway, go ahead.
0: It's already four years ago. I'm not sure. My Fabiano theory is he should move back to Europe. He made a big mistake moving to the United States. He's too comfortable over there. He has this nice mansion like overlooking the lake and wherever he's based. St. Louis, like he's partying with the chess bras, and he's going to all these events promoting Scholastic Chess and <clears throat> being Mr. Celebrity. So I'm I'm half joking here, but only half, because the the one time I really improved in chess, was, was when I was in how do you call this an Erasmus student in Madrid. I didn't do any studying, but I didn't know anybody. I was in a foreign country, so I was sitting in my room studying chess. I knew one guy who I would meet to study chess with. And I improved whatever eighty points in that half year, so I feel he should move back to Europe, change locations every year, and because right now it's like Saint Louis, twenty fourteen was his Rocky one moment, and right now he's Rocky three. He's too comfortable, and it he can't work hard anymore. So I'm not sure if I believe in Fabiano this time around.
1: Okay, those are old American boxing movies for those of us who are not the pop culture expert that Jan is, but. But I love it.
0: <laughs> You're um, from Philadelphia. I'm trying to like, work the of Exactly. Day. No, that,
1: that hit me in the heart. I appreciate it. Uh,
0: one All of these the, club legs out there, Fabiano. <laughs> right. Sitting at home, Adrian looking better than ever. Come right. on. Go to <laughs> Siberia for your next training camp.
1: I think you may be right. And the other thing is, of course, I mean, Lawrence Trent isn't his manager in, anymore. That's got to be tough to overcome.
0: That must be very hard to overcome. But also, if you hired Lawrence Trent as your manager, is it because you want to sit in Siberia and work extremely hard with no distractions? Or do you want a taste of this good Lawrence Trent life?
1: Yeah, I can't really picture Lawrence Trent holding the heavy bag there in Siberia.
0: That's what I'm saying.
1: <laughs> okay, so we haven't asked you to directly handicap them, but I feel like one can sort of infer what your power rankings would be from what you've said so far. Um, I'm
0: a big Fabiano Fan, by the way, and I'm saying all these things happen in chess. He's my teammate on Baden Baden. I'm very friendly with the guy. His coach Rustam Kasimdzhanov, I feel, is an excellent coach, both mentally and when it comes to opening theory. So he still has an excellent team in place. And um, but I'm not fully kidding about the. I'm not sure how hungry he is because he feels it seems like he has a good life.
1: Yeah, I mean, the chess world is so much better off than it was, you know, 30 years ago. That generally, I feel like these guys are pretty comfortable. So it's a little bit tough to assess who who wants it most. But definitely I, I hear what you're saying about Karyakin in particular. Uh, maybe not having quite the same degree of hunger, although he could definitely prove us wrong. We will see. Uh, okay, Alexander Grishuk.
0: That's another one that's very tough to assess, right? He's, I'm a fan of his chess. I feel he's a very original thinker also incredibly smart dude he's so much fun to talk to because he has very deep insights and interesting views on really any topic and that includes chess and chess theory he will have different thoughts and approaches than the others the one knock on him has always been and probably will always be that he's a time travel addict and it feels like he's spending. The first 90 minutes, just, I don't know, thinking about something else so he can get into some sort of time trouble, have the adrenaline kick in, and then start thinking about the game, which is amazing that he's that good doing that. But I still feel that there are no heroes in time trouble, and he will lose more points than he gains against the best of the best once that that time trouble of his kicks in. So... I consider him an underdog, but an underdog with an incredibly high ceiling because he's such a good player. So if he can get it going, of course, it goes for everybody. But Grishuk, opposed to Sou, for example, Grishuk feels like he can manufacture wins out of nothing if he's feeling it.
1: Interesting. And have you ever talked to him about his time trouble issues?
0: I think everybody has. And he's, he's been on the record many times that he considers it the weakness, but also that he considers Blitz and Rapid to be more interesting forms of chess. is he the reigning, maybe he's not the reigning world champion, but he's won a couple of Blitz world championships. So when it comes to class and understanding, there's very few people up there with him.
1: Wow. So so it, I so it literally sounds like there's no one we can discount in the field because I think Grishik is fairly low on the, the to the extent there are publicly available odds. I think uh, Grishik and Karyakin and the aforementioned Ding Liren, are the lowest, uh,
0: well, they're the lowest rated, but it's so close, they're what, like 2770. All these guys, and the highest are eight. yeah, well, my yard is
1: 2814,
0: and is 2800. So it's it's nothing really, 30 points from highest to lowest. Anything can, or oh, 45 points. I can't do math, <laughs> anything can happen.
1: Uh, okay, uh-huh. and so, so you and Peter will, Peter Spidler will be announcing it. It's double round robin format. Uh, is there anything else we need to know before tuning in on Chess 24?
0: Did we already go through all the eight candidates?
1: I believe we did. Karyaka, Aronian, Liren, Mamadyarov, Grisha, Caruana, so Kramnik.
0: Okay, just checking.
1: I That's made cool. sure I had a list in front of me because I would definitely nice. stum- stumble through it and embarrass myself <laughs> otherwise. So. <laughs>
0: yeah, up to me. Uh, um,
1: do you- Go ahead. I mean, I have one question for sure, because there's the famous lack of tiebreak when Caruana tied, or was, was going to be tied with Karyakin in the last cycle, and that was pretty disappointing from a chess fan's perspective. Do you know what the tiebreak format is this time around?
0: I believe it's the same as last time, right? Yeah. Why, why change it, stuff. FIDE?
1: Yeah. <laughs> why would you change something that everyone complained about? Right. Uh, okay, no, well... I
0: was- think okay the rules are the same for everybody you knew beforehand uh, yeah, and they're all yeah you know, I, you'd want them a, a match if people are tied whatever right play two more classical games
1: yeah uh, i get yeah. that rapid Yeah, not a competitive advantage for any particular player but just not maximizing the entertainment potential
0: right um, right,
1: right i would say all right so with that covered uh, let's move on to your business, Chess Twenty Four. So we have a question from a listener. Unlike when I talked to you, Hello. Jan, when uh, you and Greg Shahadi and my mom were the only listeners, now like a few other people listen. So uh, Howard v- Vihan says, as a multi-year Chess Twenty su- Four subscriber, I very much appreciate Jan's English videos. What are the? P- and I think he means the English language, not the uh, English opening. Um, what are the prospects projections for the coming years is chess 24 helped by the existence of ICC and chess.com or do they see their success as a detriment
0: I honestly I should have stronger opinions on these topics but I don't follow this stuff very closely I'm so much caught in my little bubble like what do I do next what video series do I do do we do commentary on that that I'm not that much of a big picture thinker and also to stay sort of fresh for commentary and stuff and my own series. I watch very little of what's happening on the other sites. So honestly, I don't know. What I can tell you is that I'm enjoying what I'm doing over at Chess24 and we will certainly try to keep it going and improving the site, both wow. when it comes to content and uh, yeah, programming, all that stuff. But I, I'm not an expert to talk to about the chess <laughs> websites landscape. Honestly, I, I don't study it much
1: that was an expert athlete like punt so basically you just take it one game at a time
0: <laughs> one game at a time
1: with <laughs> nice Gl- glad to hear it
0: um <laughs> got to play hard you got to play hard <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly although you are in your defense you're like you know you're the on air talent you can't be up to, up in meetings brainstorming and stuff like that looking at the profits and loss statements that's you know you got to stay in your lane
0: that's right uh, focus <laughs> Okay. Dark
1: me too. <laughs> <laughs> okay, another another Chess24 question from, uh, from Perpetual Chess Breakout star, recent guest John Hartman, uh, ca- ca- came on and talked about chess books, and everyone loved it. Um,
0: he's, he's doing the book reviews, right? He's always trashing my video series.
1: I know <laughs> about well, he, as he'll say, he's a big fan of yours. But yeah, he's a book reviewer for Chess Life. And um, yeah, he's nice. read every chess book under the sun, as it turns out. Uh, wow. So, so John says, "Uh, my three-year-old prefers you to Peter." We watch a lot of Chess Twenty Four media, which, as an aside, I'm quite impressed because every time I try to put on chess content with my kids around, they bite my head off. Um, but anyway, he said he just thought he'd want you to know that his his three-year-old prefers you to Svidler. So you got that going for you. And I and do I'm,
0: consider three-year-olds my key demographic.
1: <laughs> exactly. Uh, sorry. Next up. Which engine do you use for analysis? What is your engine of choice?
0: I gotta update. Like I've been using Stockfish eight for a while. I think Stockfish nine is out now, so I probably should update. I don't think it's particularly important. I think all these guys, whatever, Houdini, Stockfish, Komodo, they're all on a very similar level. So it's more about being used to some engine. It used to be Houdini, but I switched to Stockfish like two years ago, and I've been using it since. Okay, so nothing
1: to uh, um. Original there. Do you have a hot take on Alpha Zero?
0: I've done a video series on Alpha Zero, um, where all my hot takes are in. But
1: so you keep you keep <laughs> your hot takes behind behind the I paywall.
0: No, mainly I, I forgot what I said, so I don't <laughs> want to contradict myself no. Okay, that's reasonable. So, no, the I'm games were very very impressive, and it made me question some things because I'm very materialistic, both in life and in chess, and Alpha Zero seemed to be not that materialistic and was crushing my hero Stockfish. So it made me yeah, question a lot of things. It made me think, maybe this guy Tal was onto something after all.
1: Interesting. Yeah. Uh Dennis Boros who I just had on also compared his play to Tal more than anyone else. Um it's amazing to me that uh players like you and Dennis are so well versed in like all of the um All of the champions that you're able to own in on the same exact player as who to compare this computer to.
0: Yeah. Sacrificing a bunch of pieces. Like for the initiative. Smithsloth, Budvinnik Tal, it's a close call. Do Uh,
1: Do you have a favorite chess player, by the way?
0: I'm a cynic, so I wouldn't really say so. It used to be Kramnik growing up in the 90s. I was always a Kramnik fan. And then before that, the first match I followed was probably Kasparov-Karpov 1990. Back then, I was rooting for Kasparov, but style-wise, he was playing e4, the Sicilians, the King's Indian. That's not really me. So I've always felt yeah, like more inspired by Kramnik when it comes to chess style.
1: And are and you uh, are you friendly with Kramnik these days?
0: Friendly is a bit strong. I've talked to him. He seems like a very pleasant fellow away from the board but we're
1: not we're not particularly close okay surprisingly
0: so when Rather, you my birthday is on the same day <laughs> will we
1: friends and i'm just curious so when you started to become like a big shot chess announcer uh and got to meet people like this were you ever starstruck in the chess world or is it too sort of insular for you to like care about that stuff
0: Actually, before I was a big shot chess announcer, I was a not as big shot chess player. So I've played most of these guys, and most of them beat me. But no, if you're a professional player or half-professional player, I don't think you're all that starstruck. The first time I played Kramnik was in Dortmund 2008 and was my first hand. (laughs) Pretty much only now. I played two Dortmunds, but super tournament experience there was a little starstruck because you're sitting on a stage and there's lights and you're introduced by an announcer while you're playing in your regular Bundesliga game or open you're not really used to that so that's a special atmosphere But meeting the guys no i don't think i'm that starstruck
1: yeah that makes sense it's definitely would be out of your system by now and i guess you know you're being buddies with Peter Schidler you you get to you realize all too well that um you know, they put their pants on one leg at a time, as the saying goes.
0: I'm not sure Peter puts his pants on one <laughs> leg at a time. I haven't witnessed that. Okay. But other than that, yeah, I've been I've been around this world for a while, so I'm more starstruck about non-chess people.
1: Gotcha. Okay, important question from Donnie Ariel, which was not submitted, but well, he I just... Thought... Oh, yeah, so the Donnie Ariel, international master-elect, mentioned in our first interview with Jan Gustafsson, probably about, you know... of the listeners know who he is. But now, speaking of big shots, he's a big shot lawyer. But he texted me out of the blue with some questions about you that I thought would be good to share. So, uh,
0: By the way, I'm still waiting for the Donnie Ariel episode. When is that coming?
1: The big question is, can we have him on without getting him fired from his job? (laughs) Can he avoid saying anything controversial? Because otherwise, I agree, uh, he would be quite entertaining. Okay, here. Are the
0: bosses listening to the Perpetual Chess podcast? Is that
1: confirmed? I don't know. That's a good question. Maybe we can reach out to Pascal Charbonneau, who works at a hedge fund, you know, similar vein and came on and came on. I'm guessing some of his colleagues listen. So I feel like you're you're taking chances. But, you know, Pascal is such a nice guy that he's not going to say anything incendiary, unlike uh, Mr. Ariel here.
0: Gotcha. So So, I'm looking forward to Donnie's questions.
1: Okay, so here it is. This is a text I got. Watching Banter Blitz with with Jan on my huge TV. When he says he's busy with work, is this what he's talking about? Outrageous. Great show, but let's not pretend this is real work.
0: I keep having these discussions with Donnie because he thinks I have a dreamy life, like playing a bunch of Blitz games, hanging out in the office, and, and announcing chess tournaments, which is pretty much true, except I don't really enjoy it. So, <laughs> I, I understand Donnie wants my chair, but I feel the way to get into the business is to have this perpetual test podcast appearance, and it would be very popular. I'm very happy to promote that on all my Bantablitz forums, and then take it from there. Get, wow. get him out of this, and what, what do you call this, hamster wheel? That
1: yeah, exactly.
0: Very, we need to you're... save Donnie.
1: Your English is amazing. Yeah, the the nine to five grind. I agree. Okay. That's that's a great answer. And just as an aside, he's always looking for someone to be jealous of. So, I mean, I'm jealous of you too. But but you're you're not exactly in like uh, the elitist of company. He's got a long list of people.
0: Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. um, Trust me, I'm as miserable as everybody else.
1: (laughs) Okay, there you have it, everybody. Rest easy. Um, All right, uh, the Thai Open, Jan. So you're making a rare appearance where you will actually be playing chess, allegedly. So any preparation for that?
0: I love the Thailand Open. I keep telling you, I keep telling the aforementioned Donnie Ariel, that you should make one appearance in the Thailand Open. It's such a fantastic tournament. And so... Everybody should check it out, BangkokChess.com. I'm not getting paid for this, I just genuinely enjoy their tournament. It's always very well organized, they put a lot of effort into it. It's always fantastic locations, weather is nice, food is nice. It's a very, very enjoyable event. As for preparation, I try to go early, because um, i got to defeat that jet lag, that's very important. And of course I'm trying to get in some days of Thailand holidays. And then I'll look at some chess, but... You know how it is, I'm very busy playing with, which is very hard work, so I don't have time to be careful.
1: <laughs> yeah, I hear you. <laughs> um, speaking of preparation, I would be remiss, I know that from our messaging that this might be a bit of a sensitive topic, but Radio Jan, what's going on in his, in his life?
0: I don't know, the truth is, well, he's he's been on a bit of a hiatus I'm jealous of Radio Young because people like him much better than me. So now whenever I do something, people say, boring, bring back Radio Young. And I say, but it's me. It's my brainchild. It's me just putting on glasses and saying what I really think. So it's, it's tricky because it's very hard. If people like your character better than better than you. So you have to figure out if he's going to make, make a comeback during the candidates or at some point. Wow. So you that... got to give the people what they want, right?
1: Yeah, you do. I do. <laughs> It would be heartbreaking if he were to disappear. I, I once considered having him on the podcast, but then when you when you were venting about how you know you were a little jealous of Radio, yeah, and I felt like maybe I shouldn't ask you.
0: <laughs> maybe I could talk to him. We'll figure something up. And he's That's got very...
1: a he's got a face made for television too. We can't we can't waste <laughs> his talents on audio only mediums.
0: He is a very handsome man. I'll give you that.
1: But speaking of audio-only mediums, Jan, you um, you mentioned to me also that you may have a podcast at some point. I'm I'm both excited and petrified at the same time.
0: Probably I'll never do it. I keep thinking because all I do really is listening to podcasts. It's such an enjoyable medium, right? You're on the on the train or in the gym or you're having some time between banter blitzes, so you're listening to podcasts, and it's so much fun to do it. I don't really like talking to people. I like to listen to other people talk. So I feel this could be a way for me to actually interact with other human beings. But it seems like a lot of work. So I bother you. with that like how do you actually set it up technically, how do you do the editing, how do you find guests? Your, like, your
1: sound just got really bad.
0: Ah, sorry. Can you? See, that's that's one reason why I shouldn't be doing podcasts. <laughs> I do audio things. I can't okay. figure out.
1: Uh, <laughs> that was funny. So I guess we'll leave this in. But can you repeat the uh, repeat the answer in a <laughs> slightly shorter format? Because yeah. people might have caught some of that.
0: Want to do a podcast? Probably too stupid and too lazy to yeah. figure
1: out how. Okay. Yeah, I've had several inquiries from uh, chess-related people. Some of them want to do chess podcasts. Some of them want to do unrelated. Uh, I do want to
0: do movies podcast, but I'm not sure I have an audience. <laughs> okay,
1: well, I mean, you know, how many you've got? Like 11,000 Twitter followers—that's no joke. I, your chess Ooh. fans would uh, would walk through walls for you, as the saying goes. So, uh,
0: no, but you know how it is. Hashtag stick to chess. I would say I'm not following you for your stupid movie <laughs> opinion. <laughs> Tell me about the candidates.
1: How How much do you get that for your banter and stuff like that? Because I certainly hear a little bit of it on the podcast when we uh, venture away from chess.
0: I get it quite a bit, and to some extent, I understand it, like when I'm listening to my basketball podcast and they start giving their opinions on Power or whatever show I'm not watching. I'm, I'm thinking the same thing, but then again, I think to make anything successful, you got to have a bit of fun yourself and talk about stuff that you enjoy and that interests you, right? So you gotta got to find a balance, very tough.
1: Yeah, well said, and you're in the unique position of you just have so much time to fill, like...
0: <laughs> I mean, when you're where's cover- that coming from? Like, I leave I leave home at seven thirty, bring my daughter to kindergarten, go to work, come back at like seven p.m. No, 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 to I don't. Something fall asleep.
1: No, no, you misinterpret my life. I don't mean in your life, although I, I think you probably have more time than I do. But I meant when you're actually on the air because you you do your banter your banter blitzes, which are like ninety minutes. But then when you're covering those epically slow chess tournaments, I mean, you just like, what are you supposed to talk about for six hours?
0: Yeah, I agree. It's tricky. The good thing is this guy Swidler, he normally watches cricket or some even slower, more boring sports. Success. So he's used to like three days events and he can talk about other stuff as well.
1: Yeah, he is quite the gifted speaker. Word. All right. So, Jan, uh, yet another topic I want to hop over to. It can now be revealed. So I don't know how many of the listeners will have heard our first interview uh, recorded on the notorious Election Day of the United States last November. Um, oh, right, right, right. Um, it was
0: literally the night before the election.
1: Yeah, and unbeknownst to even me at the time, you were off with Team Magnus preparing him in the last world championship match. Um, so I know you've talked about this in other places, but could you give a little glimpse behind the curtain at what it was like? And we also had your friend Niels Grandelis on, who you gave me some dirt on, or lack of dirt. Uh, but what literally
0: was no dirt on Niels. It's very disappointing. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that was the impression I got. Super nice guy, great talk, but yeah, it didn't seem like there was much dirt. Um, So, what was it like uh, working on that well oiled machine?
0: I thought it was, for me personally, it was a fantastic experience. When we spoke, yeah, I was in Kragero, which is a resort in Norway. Very nice place, too. (coughs) Sorry. Happening here for a second. Um, where the team of second was based. I was there for a training camp before the match for a couple of weeks. And then the first half of the match, I was there as well. I think, yeah, we talked, I don't know, maybe two days before the match started. So we were all huddled up in in Norway, which worked very well because it's six hours time difference to New York where the match was held. So we could just get up in the morning, have breakfast, get some work in. And then when the guys would wake up in New York, like Peter Hein Nielsen and made, coach who was in New York, then you could already like give some works. So it wasn't like the typical thing where as a second you have to work a lot at night, but we could just stick to a more or less regular hours and use the time difference in our favor. And for me, it was a fantastic experience because I want to win the Thailand Open, but I understand it's probably not going to change the chess world all that much, but to be involved with something that actually matters, like the World Championship match at the highest of levels, was yeah, just a lot of fun to be a part of and I greatly enjoyed it, even though of course, while you're there, it's it's mainly work and focusing on whatever openings you have had. But yeah, for me, it was fantastic too.
1: Yeah, and we got a lot of the details from Niels, the ones that he was able to share. So I won't grill you too much on the day to day, but I <laughs> I am curious, like, when they reach out to you about this gig, is it like was it Peter who contacted you, and like, what are the, how well defined are the terms and stuff like that?
0: I've been friends with Peter Heine for. Forever really, for at least 20 years, maybe more, probably more. So, yeah, here's my first point of. <coughs> Sorry, I'm really starting to cough here. <coughs> it's this catering climate I'm not used to. <laughs> um, so, yeah, here's my first point, point of contact on all these things and also on coordinating the work. And as for everything else, of course, it's top secret.
1: So, how far did you know in advance that you were going to be doing this?
0: That's also top secret.
1: Oh man, you won't you won't give us anything.
0: I had to sign all these NDAs, you know all these councils are.
1: Oh, did you really? <laughs> <laughs>
0: um
1: okay. And I guess you don't know yet about this year. I like do if not. Okay, if you'd be rejoining the team, but if given the opportunity, you would uh you would welcome it.
0: And like I said, it was a fantastic experience for me last time, but I don't think that's my call.
1: Uh okay. And we know that you're considered an opening expert, even though you're not quite as active as you used to be playing. Uh, do, you find that, do you feel like you're still on top of the theory? Um,
0: slightly less so than I used to in some areas because I don't do as much work for myself. It's hard to replace this. I have to prepare for this game and I need to be ready for this line and that line and that line. But I feel I'm still quite well-versed because of all the commentary and annotating games and video series and so on, on what's happening in the opening landscape. I lack depth in certain points where I haven't gone yet, because I had to prepare this for myself or for somebody else deeply. But I feel like I still have a decent overview, because it's always been the part of chess that I was interested in, just the opening theory.
1: So do you feel like you could... Tell me, I'm always curious about why some openings are more popular at the top than others. Like, why do you think the French Defense doesn't show up as much at the elite level? Is there a specific variation?
0: No, it's space. Like, space is very important in chess, so that's why they don't play the French Defense or the caro camp, because you're giving away all the space. Like, why does the pawn chain pawns on d4 and e5? They control a lot of stuff, and the stronger the players get, the more they value. That space. That's why they go E4, E5, or to some extent E4, C5, fighting for the center. That I believe is the simple explanation. Like this Alpha Zero learning curve, they said that he started out playing, playing the French and then at some point he switched to E4, E5, and I feel like top level chess has been similar. But yeah. I don't think there's any direct refutation of anything.
1: Yeah, and it was interesting that Alpha Zero played a lot of uh, Catalans and Redis.
0: Oh, did he?
1: Yeah. And, like, I mean, definitely more quieter setups as white, like D4 and less E4.
0: This guy Kramnik, had it all figured out 20 years ago. Yeah, the exactly. Cardinal. He knows what he's doing.
1: Yeah, it's he's really bad. true. <laughs> um, trying to think of some other openings. Uh, what Are there any openings that particularly, like, that you think they're going to be big battles fought in the candidates?
0: I've been thinking about this. I honestly don't know, because there's <laughs> I'm so sorry about the cup. You, you can so cough, cough as
1: much as you want, Jan.
0: Beautiful. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's only so many new ideas that people can show in the Berlin or anti-Berlin or Italians that they've been playing. So I'm very curious myself to see if they're going to try playing the Rati or 1C4, or if maybe they think, okay, we haven't really played 1D4 for a while because we don't know what to do against the Grunfeld, but let's revisit that. It's so hard to say, and with White, it's just very tough these days. You you can see that pretty much everybody's well-prepared with Black. They will play their night off, or their Marshall or their Berlin against D4, their Grunfelds, or the Queen's Gambit decline. But where to take it with White is so much tougher, and it's going to be very, very interesting to see.
1: Yeah, and I guess all these players will probably have had teams in place and have been in the lab for months for this, maybe even... Do you think that they've been holding TNs? Like, if you if you found some really cool TN for Magnus, the, TN, for those who don't know, being a theoretical novelty, like a new move in an opening that you think uh, gives you a good ch- practical chance in a given game, how long do you think it's practical to hold on to it for a bigger event?
0: Um I think this... TN thing is no longer as relevant as it used to be, because computers are so strong that it's very, very tough to find a position where you have this big TN that's <coughs> not shown by any computer engine. I think it's more about being smart about what area to take the game in and where to surprise your opponent, even if you know there's no advantage to get them out of the book and yeah and also just avoid their preparation that they made for that very day because everybody has excessive files where black will equalize in all the lines but no one can remember all those files on heavy, any given day so that's just a big factor to surprise your opponent in the opening being flexible with white and being smart about what the other guy expects where he's comfortable where he's not comfortable I feel it's more important than having that in this position you play queen c2 exclamation mark plus 080 because right. everybody can find that if you just let your engine of choice
1: ran well, for long now. Huh that's interesting. And and what's your take generally on like where openings are going? I sort of feel like I'm coming around to the point of view that the fact that people are just trying to avoid the most theoretical and sort of most studied lines is making the game slightly better. So maybe I don't know. Do you do you think we're headed towards chess nine sixty? Or are is chess in fertile ground still with the openings and computers I still like
0: them. the classical chess, and I don't feel like we have any particular problem with the death of chess being analyzed to the end. This has been... People have been talking about this forever, right? We might have talked about it last time that they were yelling this, the same thing during and Capablanca, mm-hmm. whenever that was. So I'm not particularly worried. I find it more interesting to see how chess openings develop, even on a micro-level level like the Petrov was out of fashion for 10 years, and now it's very much back, and people are showing new ideas there. Yeah, there is a bit of an ebb and flow, and I'm just curious if the guys will start playing more Night f 3 G3, more B3, or if they will keep finding new ideas in the main openings. But I think we're very far from that, even though
1: the nice. level always
0: keeps getting higher and higher. You watch these games between AlphaZero and Stockfish, or what, like 3,500 and 3,200, and they're white. Wins a lot of games, a lot of decisive games, and a lot of, apparently, mistakes. So I don't think we're anywhere close to the end of classical chess. I'm not a big fan of chess 960, generally, because a lot of the positions are so strange. Like, you need 30 moves to get your pieces on halfway, normal squares, and you can't develop them towards the center as fluidly as you can in classical chess. So I'm not a big fan, but I I I could be biased because I like chess openings so much. Mm.
1: Right, yeah, I was just going to say that. And you mentioned the, the Petrov. I know that Fabiano is one of the people who's been playing it. So, did something concrete change? Like, did you see? Is there a certain move that was rehabilitated, or why do you think it's back in fashion?
0: Yeah, I think mainly people were, let's do some blindfold chess after e4, e5, knight of 3, knight of 6, knight takes e5, d6, knight of 3, knight takes e4. They were afraid of 5 knight to c3. I takes c3, d takes c3, and that structure where white just develops very smoothly, bishop be 3 queen 2 long castles. But as usual, with a lot of practice, and in particular the Chinese players and also Anish Giri, they found setups to more or less deal with that with knight c6, bishop e6, queen 7 long castles, and whatnot. So after they more or less felt they, like they neutralized that, even though it's still ongoing, that put the Petrov very much back on the map. And That's yeah, it's kind of interesting to see. I oh, liked that cool.
1: line before; it was cool, but <laughs> since wow. I don't since I don't play chess that much anymore, I didn't realize that. I mean, it makes sense that Black would castle queenside, and that that would kind of make it less fun for White. Kind of like those Caro positions where, like the mainline Caro, where they both castle queenside, and it seems strange, but Black is fine. Right.
0: Even though on the mainline Caro, I think they castle the kingside mostly, don't
1: they? Uh oh, maybe I'm. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of the wrong line. I'm not going to stumble through this in verse. No, no, what you mean, man? Okay. Um, I
0: think that started a little more. anyway.
1: Okay, so yeah, and we've got a reasonably tight out today because I'm skipping town tomorrow. So I'm only gonna I'm only gonna keep you for a few more questions. Believe it or not.
0: Very um, disappointing. i'm
1: sure yeah you're gonna have to go back out to the beach it's heartbreaking (laughs) (laughs) all right um so pop culture recommendations oh i mean we're gonna get to chess book recommendations for those of you ready to turn the podcast off but first you're you're often messaging me podcast recommendations so what would you recommend to our broader audience
0: when it comes to podcasts yes what have i been listening to like i enjoy this movie podcast blank check with griffin and david which, yeah, they're just (coughs) covering filmography. So I learned a lot about the work of Paul Verhoeven recently, about Basic Instinct, Showgirls, Hollow Man, Robocop, Starship Troopers, one of my favorite movies, And so yeah, I feel like people will enjoy that one. I I, I did listen to the
1: basic and you recommended it to me two different times. So I did break down and basic instinct, I was like, okay, finally it's a movie I've seen and I can remember a little bit because mostly it was just making me feel like, man, I haven't seen any movies. Uh, and I did enjoy what I listened to. It made me want to see the movie again, but of course I haven't I haven't done that yet. I see. So
0: the one movie you've seen out of all the movies is the one with a lot of explicit scenes
1: that's right or maybe it's just the only one I remember <laughs> for, for that right, reason Fair
0: enough.
1: <laughs> um, All right, so all right. So I got... listen
0: to a lot of junk let me think what else I listen to comedy bang bang I'm a big comedy bang bang fan which is it's own world like you gotta listen to a couple of episodes to get into it and so, I enjoy this one in which I also try to get you to listen to what's it called the dollar
1: oh yeah little bios of people you like it right, when people right. riff
0: I do I do enjoy the riffing
1: being that you are a world champion riffer yourself,
0: <laughs> I think so.
1: <laughs> no problem. All right. So we got our podcast, Rex. That's The Dollop, Comedy Bang Bang, and Blank Check. And now, Josh. Blank your, Check
0: with Griffin David.
1: Your, your favorite part, last but not least, you're going to impart some chess advice and specifically give some book recommendations for people because we didn't do that last time either.
0: I haven't read any books since we spoke that.
1: So you can go with the classics, and I'm sure I'll have had six guests that recommended the same books, but it's all good.
0: Jan hein Donner, The King.
1: Yes, I think uh, John Hartman discussed that very book. That's like That's a sort book. of fun, fun one. Media.
0: So he could say what he really thought on topics, and people wouldn't kill him for it on Twitter. It's very <laughs> nice. enjoyable. week. Okay, a simpler time. They exactly. They spend all the time in their hotel rooms preparing their openings but people were actually, they were drinking, socializing at tournaments. I, I enjoyed it very much. It's a great read. Okay. About the chess world anecdotes and yeah, a lot of topics. Excellent. I'm not connected uh, so much to chess. Sorry.
1: Yeah. And the last, I mean, you could go on if you have any other chess books you feel compelled to recommend, but I and also
0: what I recommended last time.
1: No, we last time, the only book you mentioned was a uh, television, the book, although I didn't ask you to be, <laughs> I book. didn't, <laughs> I didn't ask you to be fair for a recommendation. Um, so, but all right.
0: It, I'm sure all your guests have said the same stuff already. and mm-hmm. Endgame Strategy. That's a good book.
1: Yeah, that one's only got a couple of recommendations, but that is a good book. Um.
0: Um, no, I personally, yeah, I, I stopped reading chess books a while ago, really, which is nothing I'm proud of. I should actually get back, back into it. I grew up on these yusupov Dvoretsky books. They're great. I had the pleasure to do some video series with Yusupov myself recently. I feel like I learned a lot from just sitting next to him and having him explain these concepts like prophylactic thinking and good chess technique and whatnot. So, yeah, you can't go wrong, though. You probably have reading those. Other than that, I don't really know. I I enjoyed the Gelfand books, which I'm sure have been mentioned plenty. In general, Avrukh and Augur seem to be getting a lot of praise for their work. I have to admit, I'm not very up to date on the chess book scene at all.
1: Yeah, and you did series with both Yusupov and Davoretsky. So, what was it like? Yeah, to, I mean, just rest to... in
0: peace. That was very sad, actually. Yeah, he died, I think, two months after he was in Hamburg recording with us. And I had no idea, like, I had some idea that his health wasn't wasn't great, but I had no idea it was that serious. So, that was, yeah, just very strange. I, on one hand, of course, it's great that I got to spend some time with the legend so shortly before, but just feels weird. Think like come on i could have been nicer like taking him out for dinner a couple more times picked his brain more and then he's just gone so it was very strange but yeah it was great going to meet him.
1: yeah definitely a, a big loss for the for <laughs> the chess world um okay jan uh, believe it or not i think i'm out of questions that's it that, i th- i think that's all we got unless there's uh there's any other burning burning topics that you would like to address
0: I'm just curious about your life. So you're moving from Pittsburgh to New Jersey?
1: Yeah, we're moving to Princeton, New Jersey, basically uh, right uh, right in the middle between New York and uh, Philly.
0: Princeton um, is that the university that looks looks like Hogwarts?
1: Uh, I don't know. It's a very you know prestigious and well known university here, but I've actually never set foot in Princeton, so I'll, I'll be I'll better be able to answer that when I have you on in another year or so. Um, hmm. But yeah, we don't we don't know too much about it. I'm excited mainly about the proximity to other places, uh, Philly and New York.
0: Right. So you're you're going back to being a coastal elitist.
1: I am. Yes. Yeah. The the Midwest flyover country just didn't work out. So so back we go.
0: I see. Then no. Have a good. I don't know. How do you do these things? Have a good trip over there. How do you fly? You fly and have people transport your stuff or do you have to drive a truck or how does it work? So
1: the truck is coming Thursday and they move everything. And now that my wife and I are all grown up with kids, we have two cars, which is just shocking and ridiculous to me. But Uh so we won't even be packing the kids all in one car. We'll be taking separate cars to New Jersey. Um, I'll be campaigning for the car without the kids. Uh, (laughs) And and off we go to, to a new life.
0: Boom. So you're happy or sad? Like, on average, is this a good move or a bad move?
1: It's, it's net positive for me.
0: Boom.
1: But we really... Some, it's a very easy life in Pittsburgh. Uh, good quality of life and um, uh, inexpensive and stuff for kids to do. So we're sad about that. But my wife had, got a good job opportunity. And like I said, my friends and family are close by. So I... There's a part of me that feels like I'm back moving to, uh, moving back into civilization, you could say, because I I don't see my friends at all anymore. Pittsburgh. Yeah, I had to pause. I had to pause and think about saying it because I do because I do love it here, but it's just I'm not from here, so I don't see any of the people I know best.
0: Gotcha, gotcha. So people from Pittsburgh, I follow them on Twitter, (laughs) Facebook, all social media. People from New Jersey. (laughs) Become Chess Twenty Four Premium Members and hire Ben Johnson for your chess coaching. And um, yeah, that's that's all we got. We're done.
1: Yeah, that's all we got, Jan. And they know where to find you on Twitter for your annual tweet. Um,
0: yeah, so. I don't tweet much, but I still take a lot of pride in my Twitter followers. So yeah. please follow me to feed my already massive ego. <laughs> exactly, I'm Jan Gustafsson.
1: Cool. And of course, tune in to Chess Twenty Four for the candidates. That's what we'll be most excited for. Um, and I'm sure everyone will enjoy it, and can't wait to see what happens.
0: Absolutely, uh, yeah, I'm excited about that one,
1: actually. Yeah, so you won't be dragging to work those days.
0: Yeah, I still, I still. You complain. guys record? But I'm excited about the tournament.
1: You guys record from Hamburg, right? Right,
0: right, right. You not Hamburg, yeah. Okay,
1: cool. Yeah. All right, excellent, Jan. Thanks a lot. Cheers. Thanks to everyone who supports Perpetual Chess. I spend about five hours a week on each episode and even though I love doing the show, it can be hard to find the time. Without the financial support of the chess community, Perpetual Chess would not be possible. Special shout out goes to my Patreon and PayPal Perpetual Partners and I have finally updated the list. You guys are Adam Vrancoules, Adrian Gutierrez, Alex Pejas, Chad Hilton, Chris Flanagan, Chris Lott, Chris Wainscott, Christopher Wood, Coach Jay's Chess Academy, Gary Andrews, Greg Shahadi, James Bonastasia, Jason Dunbar, Jeffrey Martello, Jen Shahadi, Jennifer Valens, Jens Green, John Fernandez, Johnny McMenamin, Kelly Palmer, Krishna Krishnan, Lorraine Dore, Macaulay Peterson, Matthew Tedesco, Pascal Charbonneau, Paul Sweeney, Peter Lux, Peter Merrifield, Ricky Grijalva, Rob Lazorchek, Tatia Vabrahamian, Tim Seymour, Timothy Ha, Todd Bryant, Tony Rotella. Victor Vrankouj, Zhao Cheng, Zivko Stoyanov. Thanks a lot, guys. I'll catch you guys next week with another episode.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.